have a focus on your own personal self-awareness and and ensure you know your strengths um, and ensure that you are open to being curious, like staying curious to asking questions specifically on things you do not know uh, an in-depth amount of information on, whether that be the technology build or, you know, directly to the customer base. I think having your self-awareness, taking that step back on that is super helpful. I think we talked about delegation and, and letting go. I definitely believe it is not a case of just getting to level whatever in the building and then um, letting go and delegating. It's about getting better people in certain roles, nurturing them on what your vision is and the mission and what you have found out on your way and then letting them enhance on that and grow on that. Welcome to episode 148. In every coaching journey, I kink things off by defining what I call key success indicators or key SIs with my clients. It's our roadmap to get real results. One common key SI, crafting a killer business strategy and an action plan for execution. I'm not surprised. Entrepreneurs often get caught up in the day-to-day tasks, leaving little room for big picture thinking. Ben Camara, ex-soccer pro turned London entrepreneur, gets it. He knows strategic thinking is your venture's unshakable foundation. It guides smart decisions, savvy resource use, and long-term plans. Thinking strategy is a tactic I swear by, and it's one of the gems in my free ebook, Eight Tactics to Thrive as an Entrepreneur. You can find this Entrepreneur's Guide to Success on my website for free. Now let's dive into my chat with Ben. Ready for a dose of strategic wisdom? Well then, keep listening. Hey Ben, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Really excited to be here. Good, good, good. So are you are you ready to uh, tackle your bottlenecks? <laughs> as ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, well, that's this is where I want to start this conversation today. I, mm. I ask you, like I ask all my guests, uh, to fill in the bottleneck index. Your score was quite okay, 40%. Mm-hmm. So the, the higher the score, the, the worse you are, or the mm-hmm. stronger the bottleneck, <laughs> I would say. And and but you scored the least on uh, strategic thinking and mm-hmm. letting letting go. Do you do yeah. you agree with the with the, those the score? Um, I think the letting go for sure. I mean, because obviously delegation was was part of uh, <laughs> or um, hugely insightful. By the way, um, thank you yeah. for, for sharing it. The strategic thinking, yeah. I mean, things things move so fast for especially a startup of our age. Um, and we're learning so much all the time. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, we did, I did the report and we then went into some workshopping. So it certainly um, was an insight. Let's put it that way. <laughs> was it? Is it? Is it why you're saying it's, it's usually yeah. insightful? Definitely. Yeah. Hugely helpful. Yeah. Um, I think it's always good. I'm a massive believer in, you know, taking a step back and having some awareness um, continuously, especially as, as, you know, you grow your business. So um all of these insightful reports etc you know are hugely helpful to then take a step back and have a look what what do you think 
if you had taken this this bottleneck index like five years ago, what do you mm -hmm. think it would have uh, it would have shown you? Uh, five years ago, I was in my previous business. We had established mm -hmm. quite a lot. You know, we had we had a, a full team management and sort of bigger organizational structure. Let's call it that way. And I think it probably would have brought up potentially strategic thinking again. Um, I mean, we were at a stage five years ago where things were sort of chugging along. It, you know, we mm. were not on any sort of aggressive path. So, yeah, it potentially could have brought that up. Um, I think letting go is something that, you know, all, all sort of leadership teams need to learn, uh, the, the fine balance of, of that. So it's probably, you know, got similarities. Yeah. You know, since I've, since I've done the, uh, I've asked my guests to, to complete the, the bottleneck index every time, every time we talk about delegation and letting go. This is the, 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 the biggest issue apparently yeah. among, among entrepreneurs. Yeah. It is, but it's just so difficult to, to let go. <laughs> Isn't yeah, it? it is. I think it's, um, I think it goes in phases though. I think yeah. it isn't a case of just moving up to some sort of layer um, and then suddenly you're just letting go. I think, you know, plates are spinning. I think you move in and out of that um, mental headspace of letting go um, until your business is, certainly is, is a sustainable business. Um, and that, then you can um, really kind of utilize that letting go and helping the teams to, to perform better and continue growing. Yeah. But since it's such a, an important topic, but everybody else, you know, previous guests have addressed it already. Let's not talk too much about it. Yeah. This time, let's talk more about strategic thinking. Yeah. What do you think you need to do better when it comes to strategic thinking? I think the main thing for myself and my current uh, situation as the founder of, uh, of Clique is we are going through a lot of different things in parallel. Right. Um, and learning along the way as well from continuous feedback. Um, so I think, um, you know, we did previously have um, a, a six-week calendar um, repeat of strategic thinking of where, where are we at. Um, I think we have, we've brought that into a, a much narrower window so that we mm. can really take that step back on what are the findings we've found from this last three weeks is where we're at um and how has that changed the you know the outcome out the, the outcome um both long term and also in the near term um and so i think that's one thing that uh, i'm trying to focus on why is it why is it important to do that and here i want you to address it like you know and tell all the entrepreneurs why strategic thinking is so important well, the strategic thinking is a chance or the workshopping around that and actually deep diving is really the point of where you've had your, your train of thought, you've had your strategic thinking previously, and you are then starting to execute on the different divisions within your business. Mm. But obviously, you will have that then feedback coming in, which may differ slightly. It may differ massively from your strategic thinking from the beginning, the hypothesis that you had for the beginning. And so I think it's hugely important to to step back and just take a quick, um, you know, 60,000 feet look down at what are you trying to achieve and are you moving in the right direction? Um, we always talk here at Click about, you know, are we moving the needle in the right direction? 
with what we are doing. Um, and so having that strategic thinking will be the baseline of what you go out and execute on. Absolutely. I mean, especially since in a company, the funders are the only ones who have these 360 views. Every, everybody else ha only have a part of, of, that, of that view. Uh, but what, what do you want to tech click? What's, what's the big dream for it? Um, the big dream for us is, so we are a business infrastructure tool for creators, mm. so content creators. So those creators that they themselves are, are transitioning from just content creation to actually entrepreneurialism, so building their business. We want to be that layer, that technology infrastructure that they can build their, their business on top of with their own branding and their own customer base and community. So what we actually do is offer the whole solution. So the business back end, also the front end, and you can choose from having a mobile app, which is fully branded in your own branding and the feature sets that serve your community or a web application, um, but, but just empowering them to you know, transition from just creating content to actually mm. building a thriving business. So. We want to continue doing that. We've done that um, for the last 12 months within the fitness space, which was my previous background. Yeah. Um, but we're looking to now transition into different categories of creators. So food creators, such as cooks and chefs, um, you know, bottleneck coaches. Um, <laughs> There's only one. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think it's, it's a hugely um, exciting time within um the content creator economy space um and we really want to be you know creator first um and what we mean by that is you know empowering them to build their brand not just building uh what we're building here at click yeah but it's so i'm gonna take my own experience you know it's mm. so difficult to build content because there's so much content out there and that if you, if you want to be if you want to make an impact You have to be very creative. You have to speak to the to the right audience, but it is so so difficult to do. Do you have any free uh, tips? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the main thing I think is that we need to take a step back and and look at what you are in the core of of being. Also, this creator of content. You are an entrepreneur. Mm. You are a business owner, and you're serving your community with educational content that they can take then and progress in their lives. And what's happening generally is that the big tech platforms, the, the YouTubes, the, the Instagrams, etc., are not the platforms to build your business on, but they are the, the, the platform to build your audience on. And that's a very big difference. And so the way that we always approach it is, of course, you're going to do your marketing and your content creation where the audience is but a focus should also be on how your customers and your direct community can really engage with the true cherry on the top value that you're bringing them and that will generally be as with any business whether you have a coffee shop or a hair salon within your own space where you control those boundaries mm. and so we very much don't just focus on that layer of like let's make your content jazzier or, or more niche but let's make it so that that content which is aligned to your community is easily accessible then on your own platform as well it doesn't mean you're leaving the social media platforms it means that you are offering a solution for them to easily access more than what you've given them on uh the youtube or whatever that might be yeah i understand but um 
still, yeah. <laughs> still, still, it's it is it is a, a, a challenge. It is uh, a challenge because you know I have to find ways to speak to my audience uh, in ways that they understand, right? In ways that it makes sense makes sense to to them, you know. The importance of storytelling and all of that. So, so, how do you get how do you get there with your clients without without you know giving too much, of course. Yeah, I think Lauren, it goes back to the basics of business that's been around for thousands of years, yeah. right? You know, you, you you start. What social media has done is it has has made the conception that I can suddenly have a hundred thousand customers like this, you know, at a click of a finger of a finger when. In reality, no. Yeah. You know, likes, likes and views do not translate to dollars. Okay, mm. and whether whether I am creating the very best pastry cafe and I'm starting small and I have five customers and I serve them well and it becomes ten, it becomes fifteen. I focus on the quality of the product, and in this case, with creators, it's the content that's going out. Your customer base will grow if they know where they can find more of it, and you are marketing to them in. In the correct way and so again i go back to of course you need the very best quality content that's the same across any business the best quality product however what is happening in the creator economy is that there's no easy way for these customers community whatever you want to call them to really access the added value of what you're doing you know with podcasters for example there's a fragmentation of going to Acast or going to Anchor and uploading, and then it's in Spotify, mm. et cetera. There's no real way of them going to where you are direct and getting the core value. And I think that's what we're trying to achieve with, with Click and, and our um, in, infrastructure. I understand. Well, best of luck, best of luck with that. Um, <laughs> Thank you. How did you end up an entrepreneur? Because you were, you used to be like a, a professional football player or soccer player, depending on where, where you are in the world. How did you yeah. end up an entrepreneur? Really good question. So um, I grew up with um, already seeing that my, my dad is, is an entrepreneur. So mm. my dad is West African from Guinea and he's always run his own businesses. Um, I think from an early age that just gave me the cons context of not just having a, I wake up in the morning, I go to a nine and I, a nine to five. Um, and then obviously I went into the world of professional sports. So it was not a structured nine to five environment. It was very, very different. Um, and so when I came to the end of, uh, playing, although even during while I was playing, I was already reading, um, you know, books from say Richard Branson or seeing the other opportunities that you can have to be just successful in life right mm. um and so uh, there's there's a few things um you know fear of potentially not knowing what to do after football um yeah. you know i've never i i had not had a job interview stroke written a cv or a resume um prior to being 24 years old so already mm. i was kind of oh what do i do um and i was hugely just interested in business just the context of business and and creating something of value quite early on um and so i think back to you know school days you know being a young kid going around the you know where we used to live in this state and washing cars for, for money or doing all these sorts of things um i think it was just instilled by my parents as well just of, of, of working 
um, and the opportunity that you can create something yourself to make um, revenue, income. Yeah. That's called. yeah. I just listened to a podcast where the, the guest was talking about, you know, why we should teach entrepreneurship principles to kids. Mm -hmm. I think you just mentioned some of them, you know, the importance yeah. of making revenue. That, yeah. How did that, what, what did you learn as a kid from, from looking at your, at your father? What I noticed from not just my, my father, but just um, in general was the key, I think, is problem solving. Um, mm. You know, there, there is a problem that you're trying to create some, some income, right? Yeah. And if you have been into jobs and it's nine to five, then obviously that is the experience that you have had and you will repeat that experience, repeat that behavior. Um, because I hadn't had that, I had just had, you know, um, sports or tried to make pocket money before that and seen my dad changing his businesses from different even industries that really opened the eyes of, of, of oh, oh, wow, you're, you're now currently doing this versus what you were doing then. How is that even possible? Um, well, it, it, it is possible. You just obviously need to be able to go and um, understand that industry and build in that industry for the customer base. So I totally agree with, with teaching, you know, younger generations, definitely the importance of being able to solve problems um, at the core of it can, can help with entrepreneurial thinking, I think. Yeah. Rather than uh, spending your time on your mobile phone. That's it. To continue your, about your entrepreneurship uh, journey, in 2008, you created Number One Fitness. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about it because I believe, uh, from your point of view, it was quite a right. Mm -hmm. So you bootstrapped it. Uh, then you went to a point where you oversee, you were overseeing in more than 120,000, I think, one-to-one -one sessions. You We've scaled to, yeah. Yeah. You scaled to multiple locations. Uh, mm -hmm. I think annual uh, recurring revenue, 1.5 million pounds, I think. Something like that. Yeah, yes. just just over actually um, throughout over. the group. Yeah, 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 yeah. And after eleven years, eleven years of doing that business, which is not small, right? You had to give it away. You told me to a businessman because of COVID. Man, I don't want to imagine how you were feeling at that moment. It must have been so tough. Yes. I mean, to give you context, we had ran it um, for, like you said, over 11 years. Um, I'd ran it throughout my whole 20s from, from mm. literally I left playing professional football and less than 18 months later, I was suddenly I had my own bricks and mortar business that I'd signed a 10 year lease on, which, again, my parents thought I was crazy about. <laughs> But, um It was the best life lesson ever, that 10 years, the best MBA I'll probably ever do. But yeah, the end of COVID, um, but we do need to go back a couple of years. We had mm. been looking at exiting the business. You know, we'd been coming up to our 10 year anniversary um, and we'd felt that we had built a, it was, well, it was, it was a sustainable business. There was a team there. Uh, I think we had, you know, just under 40 staff. Um, and so it was self-sustainable. We actually had a broker looking at selling it. In the end, due to COVID, yeah, of course, one of the sites wasn't open and didn't open again, actually. You know, by the time that we had done the, let's call it the deal, 
Um, you know, it had been shut for 14 months. Um, but in the UK, um, you know, you were still expected to pay rent. And so you can imagine that's just absolutely not sustainable for a, for a small and medium sized business. So, yeah. Um, do you know what? It was strange, strange feeling. Of course, you know, suddenly you've got this, um, I don't want to use the word child, but something you've grown to be, you know, respected and, you know, involved over 10, 11 years. Um, but I do think there was a sense of relief as well. Um, you okay. know, it was, it was a time to change. Um, of course, every business owner wants to build this business and um, then exit and make hundreds of millions of dollars. That business was not going to do that anyway. Um, and um, it, you, you know, I try to take the positives. I, mean, I think mm. you have to in those sorts of situations because it's completely out of your control. There is no control um, that I had around that in that the business would still be running today. I do believe that if the COVID pandemic had not happened and, and how that came about. And so I do um, take the positives of what I learned from there. And um, also the learning curve of going through how an exit in that way works was hugely stressful. But of course, you know, you grow and you, you learn so much from it. So working with the deal makers and X, Y, Z, making sure all, all legalities are right and all these sorts of things. So, yeah, it was, it was a mixed emotions. Um, mm. It was a mixed emotions. It, I look back now and I think, you know, wow, we, we actually built something that was hugely, you know, I'm proud of what we did. And um, we know we started in a recession as well, you know, 2000, yeah. 2009. And so um, I, I try to take a lot of the positives and, and build that into the new company. Yeah. And is, is there anything you would have done differently? You know, hindsight's a, a wonderful thing. I've thought about this a lot. Um, mm. You know, no one knows a pandemic is around the corner. Yeah. Um, so to say that I would have more aggressively looked at buyers and stuff is just, I think it's a bit silly because you just don't know a pandemic's around the corner. I think it's, it was just a freak um, time period. Um, you know, a lot of things um, happened, whether that be from insurance companies were not paying out. I'm not sure if you saw the press around that for those small and medium-sized businesses, which then was overturned in the Supreme Court. Uh, by that mm. time, it was too late for us. Um, so I'm not quite sure. I, I think, um, you know, definitely, you know, the new business is is different in that we're, we're a technology business. And so we are not tied to bricks and mortar businesses. I think that might be something I may really question again. Um, uh, you know, a bricks and sort of mortar uh, premises based business um or i think you know from now learning putting caveats around that definitely mm, like what well just ensuring that you know the the lease the contract you have with the landlord has stipulations around some things like pandemics which i'm sure people are now doing of mm. course prior, prior to when we signed you know that none of that was really there so yeah. just ensuring that the business itself is safeguarded from any certain external environment or um, things that could happen. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I live in uh, in Finland and during the pandemic, I'm a, I'm a CrossFitter. I don't, yeah. It, the, the gyms were closed. Yeah. You know, the only yeah. thing that can help people, actually, they were closed. They closed them down. <laughs> yeah. It's it's, yeah. it's crazy. My my CrossFit gym survived. They were the first the first time the first confinement. There were a lot of support from from the government, 
Interesting. Uh, financially support, which they, you know, disbursed pretty quickly, I have, I have to say. Yeah. And unlike France, mm -hmm. they didn't ask, you know, the companies to reimburse it. Because yeah. now in France, what's happening, that was, I was told, the government supported uh, small, small businesses during COVID. Yeah. And now they ask the companies to reimburse. Same the in the UK, yeah. Yeah, and also like, a lot of small businesses are now affected by that, and they have and they have to close the doors because they don't have the financial totally. means. Yeah, there was a way. I'm I'm actually thankful that we closed when we did rather than afterwards because yeah, there was a second wave of you know landlords being able to you know, take the rent that was owed to them. And I do not begrudge any of the landlords. Um, you know, they have their business as well. Um, mm. And so you also had this second wave of of companies then failing after the pandemic. I think that would have been a harder thing for me of working yeah. tirelessly after the pandemic to try and get it up and running, but then also to, to, to not be able to uh, do it through no, no fault yourself. Yeah, I think just the economies, especially in Europe, um you know huge effect and the government's got a massive learning curve from that um yeah yeah and but we as entrepreneurs have to deal with that totally totally yeah and that's not easy yeah. um moving forward to click yeah what are what are what are the lessons you've taken from your previous experience to bulletproof your business so um certainly looking at um because I had bootstrapped a business before, um, literally from, you know, personal investment in, I think if you've run a small lean company um, and cash flow is super important, um, mm. I've tried to instill that into the company here. Um, we're a tech company and, you know, the, the technology sector um, is, I don't think as... <laughs> Some people might disagree, but it's not as frugal maybe as as small gym on a street corner that really needs every penny. And so it's not about not spending money where money is needed to be spent, but we focus massively on budgeting every segment of the business and ensuring that we make smart decisions, quick decisions, but they're smart decisions and there is a return on that. And I think that's what's helped us um, continue to stay alive and then got us to a point where we could you know, grow to now be able to raise the money we have. Anything else? Structures and systems, for sure. Mm. You know, I do believe in that. E even having just six or seven members in your team, and some of them are, even could be, you know, part-time or fractional, systems are super important. Um, so making sure that processes are put in place and thought about, and then are then actually in the diary, if it might be reporting, or ways of doing things are systemized because it can be very, very easy to have a thousand plates spinning, especially as a founder. Um, and so anything that I guess uh, I, happens and is not positive for the business, I will automatically look at chatting with the team about how can we systemize this in a better way uh, to ensure that we can make it just more efficient. So efficiency, I guess, throughout. It's a great way systems and processes to avoid bottlenecks. <laughs> yeah, because this show is about bottlenecks at the end. At yeah. the end of the day, are there are there any bottlenecks you're facing right now? Really good question. Um, <laughs> we we have bottlenecks, but are tied to the resources. I guess you would mm. you would say. You know, I, I 
the team will say I'm quite impatient. Uh, I'd like to do things uh, today. Um, <laughs> but because of the size of the business, obviously we only have a certain amount of resources. And so that is something that we need to map in and really then prioritize things in the best possible way. Uh, so I think the, the biggest bottleneck we have at the moment is we are a seed stage company. So that is to be understandable. Um, and uh, resources are the thing that we need to be conscious of to make sure that we get the best bang for our buck on, on each part of the technology. Do you want to uh, uh, raise capital? We have raised capital um, and we're now, we're now um, just closing our round. Um, of which we will then put obviously a percentage of that to resources. Um, but even at this stage, you got to be, you've got to keep your eye on that because even raising capital, that money goes quick. <laughs> mm. uh, you know, it can go real quick. So we've still got to balance the resources with the spend, I guess is the way to think about it. Yeah. And it's, it's another difference with your previous, uh, business where you bootstrapped, but now you're going, you're going for, Fundings, external fundings. Yeah. So bootstrapped as much as I could, you know, funded, self-funded it and, and now yeah. Um, have yeah gone to raise because it's the only sort of uh, way of doing that uh, in the time frame. I, I understand. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, remember the money can go very fast, but I'm sure you're in, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So take all your experience. Mm -hmm. as an entrepreneur and summarize it into one practical recommendation for other entrepreneurs, startup funders, what would it be? I think have a focus on your own personal self-awareness and, and ensure you know your strengths um, and ensure that you are open to being curious like staying curious to asking questions specifically on things you do not know uh, an in-depth amount um, of information on whether that be the technology build or you know directly to the customer base i think having your self-awareness taking that step back on that is super helpful i think we talked about delegation and, and letting go I definitely believe it is not a case of just getting to level whatever in the building and then um, letting go and delegating. It's about getting better people in certain roles, nurturing them on what your vision is and the mission and what you have found out on your way and then letting them enhance on that and grow on that. And naturally, um, you know, those team members will start to take ownership of things um, in that way. Um, so I guess it's just having a finger on the pulse in the things that are going to move the business. I also think it's super important to focus on things that actually do move the needle. Mm. Um, and so I learned this many years ago from a business coach when I first started is just, you know, having meetings for them decisions and real decisions rather than just discussions. Yeah. Um, because that's the only way you're going to um, learn is actually taking action anyway. Uh, and so I tried to sort of instill that as well in, into the team or, or just empower them to be okay with um, making decisions and being okay with, you know, iterating if that isn't quite right. Yeah, this is great insight and this is so important. And I'm glad we talk about that. Because this is at the core of tackling your bottlenecks. You yeah. Know, to, rely, to 
tackle the bottleneck, whatever it is, you first have to recognize it mm-hmm. and recognize that you are the problem and yeah. that requires self, self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe then we go back to what you were to- when we were talking about, you know, strategic thinking. Do you yes. do you include do you include a part on, on self awareness on stra- strategic when you have your strategic thinking with your co-founders, or like where you exchange with each other? Um, we don't. No, I mean I'm a solo founder. Um, I'm very lucky in that the leadership team I have around me, the core team, founding team, let's call it, um, yeah. have that as well. I mean we've spoke about it. And we have our check-ins that are not in the strategic thinking meeting, but more in in our, you know, like let's just talk about non-business stuff and just talk mm. about um, us as a team. Um, and so we will talk about it then. Um, and just, I, I guess, any entrepreneurs that are listening that are starting out, you know, asking those questions to the team members, you know, what what can we do to make this even better for you to thrive and it yeah. sounds sometimes a little bit cheesy especially to brits but that's the core question if you want your team members to really step up you know you need to ask them you know what is stopping you from doing that and, and is there absolutely. anything that we can do yeah. uh, ab- absolutely i see i see that again with so many funders you know assumptions mm-hmm. they're making they imagine that you know that their leadership team or their mm-hmm. team members indeed is can read their mind <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. I'm no. probably guilty of that as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure everybody everybody is, and your team is guilty, you know, of it too, because they also assume that you, as a funder, uh, mm-hmm. will know will know how they feel, right? Yeah. But it's not. It doesn't work like that. You definitely have to uh, to uh, have those conversations, like you said, are so so important. And if I can add one one tip on on this, never accept the first answer as the real answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> always go deeper there's always yeah. like if you go deeper and ask why for instance you always get yeah. into the real issue yes yes totally agree all right cool thank you ben that was that was awesome um one last question how can people yeah. contact you so you can find me um on email ben at joinclick.io um, I'm on all the social channels. So LinkedIn, I guess, is the most um, prevalent for, you know, business side of things. And, you know, please do connect Ben Kamara, uh, which is, you know, just full name. Um, and yeah, happy to connect with with the whole community. Excellent. Again, thank you very much, Ben, for your time today. No, thank you, Lauren. I uh, love the show and thanks for having me on. And thank you for listening. I hope you found the insights and tips Ben shared with us today helpful to tackle your own bottlenecks. Don't forget to tune in next time for more inspiring stories and expert advice. Until then, subscribe so you never miss any episodes. I'll see you next time. Bye for now.